Hello and welcome to episode 256 of the Waters Waveland podcast. I'm your host, Weishan, and I have Tony with me here today. Hey, Tony, how are you doing? Good. It's been a long time since uh, you and I have done the podcast together, so. Yeah, Exciting. yeah. Uh, yeah, we took a little bit of a hiatus, right? And uh, uh, But we're going to come back at it uh, with more guests. Back better total. than ever. Yep. So actually, why don't you tell us who we have on today? So uh, I sat down and I spoke with uh, Spencer Lee, who's chief uh, markets officer for TS Imagine. Uh, he joined the company just a couple months ago. And, uh, you know, he's got over 20 years of experience on the buy side. Um, spent a lot of time at BlackRock, um, uh, was a founding member of a hedge fund out of San Francisco. So we kind of talk about kind of the, the buy side needs um, when it comes to fixed income execution management. And for those that don't know, TS Imagine um, was born out of a merger between Trading Screen, uh, one of those rare vendors that has a dedicated fixed income EMS. and um, and they were merged with Imagine Software. Imagine Software, uh, well-known um, on the buy side for their risk analytics portfolio. And so, yeah, it was a good conversation. You know, sometimes, like, you know, you talk to technologists and you get technology answers. And Spencer certainly uh, knows the technology because he used it. And so it was, it was, it was an interesting conversation about the fix, the, the needs of, fi- of a fixed income trader. Um, coming from somebody that, you know, was trading and fixed income for, you know, at, at uh, a hedge fund that was dedicated to this and at BlackRock. So yeah, good conversation. Um, hope you guys enjoy it. All right. Into it. All right. Now I'm joined by Spencer Lee, who recently joined TS Imagine as its chief markets officer. Spencer, thanks, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. So for those that don't know, uh, Spencer spent about six years at BlackRock, uh, he, where he led um, global electronic fixed income trading. Uh, he then uh, went on to become a founding partner at Agilon Capital in San Francisco. So basically a decade or so um, on the buy side there, um, very big you know, institution like BlackRock, and then uh, uh, starting up a hedge fund. What led you from kind of going from the buy side to cross the street to the vendor community? Well, it uh, is a lot of folks like to say these days, a bit of a journey. Um, as, as you mentioned, I, you know, actually it's 20 odd years on the buy side for me oh, now sorry. or so. And a good number of those at BlackRock where I was uh, running the, the fixed income desk for the West Coast. And then um, the side job over there, so to speak, was uh, in, in charge of global electronic trading for credit. Uh, so very much in the weeds with all the different venues in the marketplace and vetting new venues and then obviously the incumbents and um, working on new protocols and, you know, what that would look like and, you know, what made sense for us and really what made sense for the ecosystem because we wanted more folks to play. We want more liquidity, you know, in the ecosystem and and then spent a lot of time working on Aladdin during my years at BlackRocker in conjunction with the development team and and the Aladdin folks uh feel very very close to those guys uh, still to to this day um we were trying to figure out how to essentially ingest all of the information around the new protocols in the marketplace and really drive further adoption of electronic trading there um so little by little over time for me it just kind of became 
as much as I love trading and never thought I would uh, kind of move away from it as I've done now, just the interest in the electronification effort and, and really the tools to embrace that electronification effort kind of just grew and grew in me over time. And then, as you mentioned, uh, there was a, a group of us that ended up uh, leaving BlackRock together and starting our own firm, Agilon Capital, um, hedge fund, long, short, uh, systematic credit. Uh, we needed the right tools in order to handle the electronic nature of our systematic nature, nature of our investment process. And so I was given carte blanche to um, find a new system, you know, that worked for us. Yeah. Uh, and and the, you know, I wanted to continue the work that I had been doing all those years and also try to vault ahead a little bit because I had a vision of what was needed for the buy side um, and really born out of trying to solve pain points, you know, that exist, um, you know, for the, the average buy side trader. Trying to be everywhere at once is is a big one. And then when you kind of come up with tools to be everywhere at once, making sure those tools work reliably such that every time you click a button and you expect something to happen, that it does happen like you expect. I had a, a colleague uh, for a number of years that used to say, you know, quite famously, I don't need some electronic tool or platform or button to invite me to make a mistake. And I always thought it was kind of funny. And uh, But what he was talking about is, is something that every buy side trader lives and breathes. And that is that if it doesn't work, it's, you know, unfortunately, it's kind of dead to me. Yeah. Um, and they really don't go back to it. And so one thing that I found that, you know, while this interest in electronification and and sort of the tools that go with it grew in me is that I, I guess somewhere along the way developed a, a little bit of an ability to kind of engage and talk to the development side of the house. And so myself as a practitioner, I found um, maybe some some degree of, 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 again, ability to, I guess, bridge that gap, of, you know, to some degree and, and kind of be a liaison, a trusted liaison between what the buy side traders on the front line need to use every day and what the developers can actually produce. And I think for a long time, the development community is as awesome as they are. Uh, they're they're kind of shooting at a target with the blindfold on sometimes because they never yeah. got the proper feedback, you know, from the front lines. And you know, I I saw that happening, and it kind of hurt a little bit, <laughs> you know. And so I wanted to jump right in and, and try to fix that. And so I, I I just try to push all of my buy side experience with all the platforms, the the knowledge around trading etiquette in the different markets I've traded, and and really share that with uh, the development side of the house. Do you reckon that that setup is because you know really over the past five years we've seen some pretty monumental changes in tech in the worlds of technology in the capital market specifically right nothing that's necessarily new but just the way that it's being used so for example cloud and the use of you know your likes of your aws gcp azure things like that you know five ten years ago yeah they were used but not in the way that they're being used today. Now it's being used to house critical data. It's used to build infrastructure as analytics tools. You know, you see wider adoption of APIs um, to de deliver data um, and software. You see uh, wider use of open source um, and open source solutions and kind of a push toward interoperability between systems where the days of kind of your closed off monolithic black box system 
it's not going away, but it's it's certainly becoming something of a thing of the past because you need that interoperability because you need to have the analytics, you need to have the data, you need to have the systems connected to each other. And please correct me if I'm wrong, but fixed income is oh because of its natural fragmented state. You know, it, it, technology was kind of resistant almost to fixed income compared to equities and FX options. So. Is that kind of change that you're seeing between, okay, you have your developers that were kind of just kept it, you know, in the back, and then you had your front office traders and you, they just said what they need and they were developers supposed to go get it, where now you kind of need this kind of working together because of these technological shifts that make the sharing of data, the analytics of data so much more important. I know that's rambling, but maybe you kind of piece together what I'm saying there <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> Well, I, I think the delivery mechanism, if you're talking about cloud-based or SaaS-based, you know, kind of solutions is meaningful in the sense that it's just a, it's a lighter burden on everybody. And so it allows, I think, ultimately for faster computing time, um, you know, better ingestion. And then, you know, because of that, it, it's like increasing amounts of usage and it's more robust usage. And you know, the electronification trends that we've seen in the marketplace also generate more data. And the more data kind of generates more electronification. So a little bit of a, a fee positive feedback loop there. Um, and then capturing that data is, is a big something, you know, for the buy side universe. It's capturing the execution content um, and then as well as the liquidity content. And, and both are, are quite important. Um, so when I hear interoperability between systems, that's that obviously means systems talking to each other, and it I think it speaks to some consistency of the data between tools, um, which I mean it goes without saying really. It's super important. I mean a trader can't you know be in one system and then look to another system and you know have some inconsistency of data. It just renders the whole thing fruitless. Um, so you absolutely need that. Um, and having one platform or you know a small number of platforms uh, to which you you point or funnel all of this you know new data you know if you will um, increasing amounts of data off this electronification move um, just just makes the entire process um, a lot more enjoyable. I mean, I, I talk oftentimes about uh, the quality of life for a buy side trader, and you know the the tools that uh, you know we're building at TS for instance, in our EMS are really meant to, you know, do a few things, um, you know, not least of which is to aggregate everything and, and put it into, you know, a, a single view. I refer to it as a cockpit sometimes, um, but it's it's also about ensuring that every move is a, a confidence inspiring move. You know, every click, you know, is a reliable click. Um, and, you know, just Putting all that into one spot is, is super helpful, and I mean the data is is a big part of that because it sits in front of the trade itself. I mean that's pre-trade data. Um, yeah. You want to have a good framework of the marketplace in order to make the right decisions, whether it be picking a dealer, picking a venue, picking a protocol, um, and then ultimately, you know, deciding on a level. Um, so I don't know, maybe that was a smidge rambling, but uh, yeah. if it if it kind of got us there, that's good. Well, listen, it's always up to the, you know, I got to ask better questions, but, you know, for me, I'm, I always ramble, but eventually we get there. That's the point of the podcast is that's why it's conversational, <laughs> but, for, you know, maybe I should have said something at the beginning. So for those, just in case there's anybody that doesn't know, uh, TS Imagine uh, was created in 2021 with the merger of Trading Screen and Imagine Software. Trading Screen, of 
course, you know, your uh, uh, execution portfolio management system, uh, trading system, uh, Magin software, uh, deep into the analytics space. Risk um, analytics, yeah. Risk analytics, yep. And so kind of bringing those two together. And, you know, in addition to the likes of, you know, we, we, I recently spoke with Ion, who's put out a uh, fixed income EMS. You have, I, we, spoke, we, we spoke with uh, Faxet and um, they have Portware uh, fixed income EMS system. Trading Screen is one of those rare systems. It's it, To me, it feels like in the world of equities and FX, you have, you know, this kind of OMS EMS movement kind of bringing these two things together. But in fixed income, the EMS, there are a couple standalone providers, but even like Aladdin doesn't have its own, you know, traditional EMS. You know, it's 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 kind of a standalone OMS and then has some ex execution properties and then it partners with other uh, providers um, on the execution front. So what is it then about execution and fixed income and execution management and fixed income? That is, what are the needs of a buy side trader? And how are those needs trading that because it seems like there is a little bit more of an emphasis, a push toward the EMS side in fixed income specifically, whereas that in um, equities and FX, it's it's a, a little bit more traditional, I guess, when paired with the OMS. Yeah, um, so first off on the, the OMS, EMS bit and in fixed income land, um, I, I felt like from my buy side my fixed income buy side seat you know for these 20 odd years that we were always as a community kind of saddled with uh systems that were originally intended for equity yeah um and we were kind of being shoehorned in a little bit um and i think all of us in the audience here that's listening and you know i'm sure many are fixed income people hopefully they're nodding their head right now <laughs> you know so we we had a little bit of an uphill battle there i think but little by little you know, we we've kind of been um, treated to upgrades, you know, throughout uh, our our sort of career life cycles here to where the OMSs are generally doing a much better job. Um, EMSs are brand new, I think, as part of what you were saying there for fixed income. Uh, the reason for the EMS and fixed income, largely probably the same reasons, you know, that were uh, sort of catalysts for the adoption in the, in the equity world. And that is that fragmentation is is massive, right? Uh, we're now seeing, in addition to the fragmentation, increases in electronification, mm -hmm. and so it it just it takes a different set of tools than what the OMSs were able to provide, and and in my opinion, kind of still able to provide. It's not. Hey, that, give me some examples as to what are those tools. So, you, could you mention that the 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 tools just for fixed income have been shoehorned in? What are some of those specific needs that you're seeing? that are that firms like yours are trying to adjust, address today? Yeah, well, I, I, I think in short, it's really about uh, connectivity and integration to the different trading venues that exist in the fixed income space. Mm -hmm. And then I would add the many different protocols that exist inside of each venue. Mm -hmm. And the third bit is the nuance of each protocol. Mm -hmm. I think it's an easy something for kind of incumbent platforms, let's say, to call out in a press release or conversations with clients, you know, yes, we're integrated, you know, with X venue and, you know, Y venue. But typically that means, hey, we can stage orders. Mm -hmm. And then you go operate in that venue. And then you get an execution and that fill information is transferred back 
to that platform, that trading platform, be it OMS or EMS. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot sort of missed in there. Um, there is a, a state that exists, in my opinion, that's much better. And that is to have a platform, in the case of TS, you know, TS is EMS, try to normalize the engagement or integration across all those different venues and across all those different protocols and bring the control panel, if you will, the cockpit, you know, kind of controls into a single view such that you don't have to go outside of the TSEMS to do very much. I'm not trying to say that you never have to go outside the TSEMS, but increasingly, given the diaspora of liquidity content that exists in the fixed income space, and by the way, it's, you know, it's distributed or disseminated asymmetrically dependent upon that, you know, um, content creator or that liquidity provider, you just need to cast a wide net. And if you don't have the tools to, to catch all of that information and distill it into a single view that makes it relevant for the trader as it pertains to either their order list or their blotter or a watch list, then I feel like we're kind of coming up short, you know, as a community. And so like we should all expect, in my opinion, to have the right tools to bring all of that content into the safe space of the buy side. So we shouldn't have to be saddled with this idea that we need to constantly stage orders into every other venue. When you do stage an order into every other venue, and pardon me here, I'm going to go into the weeds just a little bit. Please, um, our readers, will, our, our listeners will appreciate it. <laughs> that That's a committed placement. And so once you commit a placement to a single venue, then that order is no longer kind of, I'm going to hold my air quotes up here and say kind of workable inside of your own blotter view. So it comes at the expense of interacting with potential liquidity opportunities in other venues or other streams or other pathways. And so if you can maintain this idea, which I think is kind of like a, I don't know, a a golden concept, if you will, of bringing all the liquidity that exists in the marketplace into your platform, and then that's the safe space such that you're not sending your content all over everywhere. As a buy-sider, we want to protect our information. We don't want to create information leakage in all these different places. And I'm not saying anybody leaks information intentionally, far from it. But in general, we just want to try to minimize what we send all over the place. And so if we can collect all that liquidity content into that single view, again, I refer to it as the buy-sider safe space, then we decide what's relevant. We decide what to engage how to engage, when, all that kind of good stuff. We can make decisions on the right protocol. We can make decisions on um, the right venue if they have the same protocol. I mean, their discussions are, I mean, it's quite easy to see exactly, you know, what the transaction fees are in the different venues and different protocols. Um, it's not to say that the cheapest is always the best, not, not always the case. Um, there could be more size. There could be a slightly better level um, such that, um, you know, the, the gross level is better. Um, and so it's just, uh, I think all of this information that exists in the marketplace needs to be brought to bear in one view so that the buy side trader can make the right decisions. Uh, so TS, I think what I'm trying to do here, using all my years on the buy side, and now in the seat that I am now as, you know, head of fixed income, you know, EMS, is really build a fancy sports car for the buy side. 
that does everything that a buy side trader needs, solving all the pain points. And then we're going to hand the keys to that sports car over to the client and let them drive it however they see fit. But they need to have choice in protocols. They need to have choice in venues. They need to have choice in dealers, um, all in the search for best X. You know, if I, I might argue just additionally uh, real fast that if you're committing all of your flow, even just on an order staging basis to, to one venue versus the other, that in a lot of ways, you know, it's, you know, it's almost a small dereliction of duty a little bit. Like you need to try to be everywhere um, because, you know, fiduciary duty matters. And if a trade goes off in another venue or another spot in the marketplace that you could have been accessing, but you didn't because you were kind of using old tech that just allowed for one type of engagement or integration, then that's a, that's a that's a whiff. Yeah. Let me ask you that. So you have you, could you mention the the various venues and you have your 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 different protocols, whether you know RFQs, all to all, your club. How how can the what's the current question I'm trying to ask you? Is it through either regulation or is it through technological advancement that progress will be made in fixed income so that you can get that wider um, connection? Because right now it seems like through the protocols, you know, you, you're kind of locked into one or the other. The venues are, you know, they're, they're, you have the venues dominate the, the fixed income space so much that I wonder is there a partnership in the industry, I guess, because it, to me, it still feels like there's the venues have their kind of way of viewing things and thus the different kind of protocols. The buy side wants to connect into all these different liquidity sources, and then it's up to the vendors to figure out, OK, how do I go about making these connections? Is it regulation that has to drive that, you think? Or is it just that there hasn't been. um innovation i guess enough innovation in space where it, there needs to be more innovation in the space just to make those connections that what i'm saying there the connections to the venues yeah, yeah so the venues it would seem to me have their own you know business model their own way of doing things that's the different protocols right yeah so what's that impetus to get everybody kind of work there so you can easily so the buy side can connect into all these different liquidity sources yeah so the technology i think is really the venues opening up their trading apis Mm -hmm. And that's been happening for the last several years. Okay. Um, one of the original catalysts for that was to try to encourage, I think, um, more buy side engagement of all to all trading opportunities mm -hmm. um, that, that really said, OK, you know, we want to make it as easy as possible for buy siders to be a liquidity provider and RFQ opportunities. Yeah. And in order to do that in the early days, you kind of had to be in a particular GUI or platform looking for that opportunity. And then you either had to have a watch list, possibly get a you know, pop up, or um, you'd send orders over in that committed you know form that we were talking earlier, such that when that opportunity showed up, you had another pop up and it was a solicited engagement versus an unsolicited engagement. Um, I myself kind of prefer the solicited engagement. It's it's a safer you know, kind of trading um, behavior, in my opinion. But that to me was was one of the catalysts for this um, 
the step forward, I guess, in, in the evolution to try to um, encourage more participation. Everybody had that initial ability to stage orders over, then generate the RFQ, be the RFQ launcher. Traditionally, it went to just the dealers. But when the, the moment arrived to where that audience for the RFQ switched from just being the dealers to then including the buy side, then it was kind of a question that was almost asked to the buy side, well, how can you see more of that? You know, I don't want to miss that opportunity. And then the venue said, okay, well, you know, you can do these few things to try to make sure you don't miss it. But then it extended even a step further to say, okay, and the venues get a lot of credit for this. Well, if we can make it a notch easier for the buy side, you know, what does that look like? And it's really that trading API that shares those RFQs with different OMSs or EMSs or proprietary systems on the buy side. And then that information again comes back into that safe space that I'm talking about. And the response mechanism in that safe space, it, in the places I've worked, um, including TS now, is a very efficient response mechanism. And so that encourages a, a, a higher uh, hit rate and a higher response rate for the venues, and it drives better pricing for the venue itself that they can then turn say, here's why you need to come to our venue and launch your RFQ because we have, you know, this ease of access for so many different responders, you know, to um, to compete for your business. Okay. Um, and then let me ask you this then. So obviously when Francisco Partners brought together uh, Trading Screen and Imagine um, software, it was with the eye of let's help bolster the risk analytics of Yes, right. That that's what their specialty is, and so you know, buy side traders need more and more um, data. You know, we, we like to say that the data is good, but if you can't provide context around that data to make decisions on where to place an order, on TCA, on your risk analytics, things like that, on on your risk exposure, the context is what's so important. So I, I recognize that you've only been at the company for um, a few months now, but yeah. Looking forward, what is the going to be the drive for TS Imagine as it comes to fulfilling the needs of a buy side trader and the analytics that they need around fixed income trading? Well, so you're right to touch on the Imagine part of the business, which is the risk analytics part, and that's uh, that's a big focus of the new combined entity, right? How do we pull the two into a cohesive one. And so we're we're working feverishly on that. And I even at some recent conferences had clients ask, you know, because they're a risk client and they said, well, hey, if we become an EMS client, can we push that risk information into the EMS? And the short answer is yes. Um, it's not quite ready for prime time, but uh, that is kind of job one on on the roadmap. Um, you know, and then I would, I would add that, um, What's happening even maybe a step before the completion of the risk injection is to properly capture all of the data that is generated in the marketplace for a fixed income trader. And I think I mentioned this earlier, but it I think of it in, in two sort of buckets. One is the execution data itself. So that's historical in nature. And not only you know does it include the level of course and um, the protocol and the dealer, um, you know, timestamps and, and all that kind of good stuff. Um, 
but uh, it, it also includes the liquidity content. And so there's the execution data, which is more historical in nature, and then there's liquidity content that you track over time. Um, so the execution allows you to do any number of different things. It, it shows you, you know, like who you're trading with and dealers and again, what protocol and I'll come back to the protocol analysis in a little bit. If I drift, you know, please, please give me a nudge. I've got some interesting things to say there. Um, and then the liquidity content is kind of like a newer something for, for at least for me. I mean, we've always endeavored to capture it, but it was hard to do because of this fragmentation. And so we're finally developing tools in the, in the TS landscape that brings all of that into like a, a single capture point. And you can do a lot. Um, and by the way, this is just client um, information, meaning it's liquidity content is generated by a liquidity provider and then delivered to clients individually. And so we don't mix and match that inside the TS environment. Um, intended data for a particular client only ends up at the doorstep of said client inside the TS environment. But we do capture it and we normalize that data. You know, we we do some work to generate confidence scoring around that. Um, and we provide that to the client uh, through Snowflake, for instance. Mm -hmm. Um, or any, you know, possibly a different pathway if the client so chose. And it allows them to, to run any number of different, uh, you know, analyses on that data. I mean, it could be quantitative research. It could be trading management. It could be compliance and surveillance. Um, it, uh, I, th I could scroll back through my memory, you know, kind of managing a bigger team. Uh, but I, I think you get the idea. Um, so combining that information with the execution content is just a, a, a powerful combo. And you know we're we've got a a tool, or I guess maybe better said, as a product that we call TCLA. And so TCA, everybody knows, we add the L in there for liquidity, um, liquidity content, and uh, it becomes a pretty powerful tool. And then that information, once the recording of all that data starts, if a client you know so chooses to to um, engage that that product, then it can be fed into the EMS real time and ultimately drive protocol selection and dealer selection. And then when you see um, executable levels inside of the EMS, you know, we're gonna have a confidence score right next to that as well. You know, like, does that dealer slip this percentage of the time or not, you know, kind of thing. Um, and uh, it's gonna help drive a lot of um, smarter decision-making. Okay. And uh, sorry, so that protocol analysis, that that's where that fits in there. That's that's what you're talking about there. Sorry if I if well, I didn't make that connection. It's um it's not the only thing I'm talking about, but it is um an output uh, that I think uh, I found useful in analyzing our our trading flows over time on the buy side. Uh, so I wanted to know what protocols were the most effective um, and also the least expensive. So me measured by transaction cost. Um, we, we kind of know about RFQ. I'm going to try not to use too many acronyms here. Um, inside of the RFQ is a liquidity taker. You can match up with a all-to-all -all provider, uh, which is a pretty good outcome. Or you can not, you know, kind of match up with a all-to-all -all liquidity provider and just be kind of the original dealer network. Um, all pretty competitive. Um, 
There's also the voice trading protocol, which traditionally has been one of the most expensive. Um, and then as you move to RFQ, um, it gets pretty competitive and it gets you know less expensive. If you can be a liquidity provider in the RFQ, like all to all world, that's mm -hmm. even a notch less expensive. Um, auctions, dark pools, other all to all protocols, you know, all right in the mix. But in general, I think you get the sense of how the, the ranking would occur for the transaction costs of each protocol. There's a, a newer protocol that has surprised me a little bit. Um, and this is, I think, the only other acronym I'll use, but it's direct dealer connectivity. Mm -hmm. And I refer to that as DDC. And again, this is about giving clients choice on the tools that they use. But dealers are increasingly desiring to connect to clients directly through their OMS or their EMS. Um, I, on the buy side, experienced this push and also was a willing participant to engage that. Um, and streams from algos or click to trade in that DDC engagement, um, but also sector based or frontline traders uh, that have access and IOIs, you know, they'll show up in, um, you know, right next to an order in your your EMS environment and that's engageable. And so I refer to that as the DDC. And increasingly, I found that to be not only a useful tool, you know, it's kind of the right tool for the right job, as another colleague used to say, um, but also a very effective one in the speed and the safety. And it also created somewhat surprisingly a lot of savings. Okay. And so that protocol over the last five, sorry, nine quarters of my time on the buy side became the top protocol as far as transaction costs, least expensive. And our volumes in that protocol went from obviously zero in the beginning to 10%. Um, and of that 10%, I would say about 20% was click clicking to trade on algos or stream, you know, kind of content. But 80% of that 10% was electronification of voice trades, trades that otherwise would have been done by voice, uh, but we were getting really nice pricing on it. Um, and it became the cheapest protocol again. Now, I think there were a couple of things happening there that sort of explained why that was the, the cheapest protocol. You know, one is the system only wakes you up to that opportunity when it's the best. And so there was a, a selection bias there, I think. Uh, and then secondly, dealers, and I should say traders, given that most of the execution volume there was sort of person to person because it was an AX or an IOI, and we were clicking to engage on that. Um, it was just an electronic kind of person to person trade. And I think the sell side really appreciated the electronic kind of RFQ, if you will, but that was directed to them based off an axe of theirs that they had previously shared, and it was non-comp. Okay. And so if they share that information or that liquidity content into the, the safe space of the buy side, and the buy side can cross-reference that with their watch list or their order book, and the system tells you, hey, right here, right now, this best dealer exists for you, and it's a clickable something, and it passes your checks, meaning like you're vetting it on price and you know a number of other things that you may choose to to use as part of your decision making process. Why wouldn't you just click that button? It's so super easy and super fast. Who did that I've traded I've traded small size on there and I've mm -hmm. traded large size on there, and it works just as well. 
and it doesn't preclude it doesn't preclude conversations over IB or phone or whatever. But um, for it, it became the cheapest protocol over you know a little over two years of trading volume for us. Forgive my uh, my ignorance, but who developed the the direct uh, dealer connectivity? Who did develop the DDC protocol? Well, um, I, I'd say that it was sort of happening organically across a number of different spots. I mean, I myself started working on it with the BlackRock team many years ago. Um, you know, gosh, close to ten years now. You know, uh, ago when we first started working on that, one of the things that I started pressing when you know, we started Agilon was to continue that work and to try to, you know, drive things forward. I think the the dealers were also pushing quite quite intensely for this direct connection. And uh, the buy side was in some pockets of the buy side very enthusiastic about engaging that and in other pockets maybe kind of wondering if it was really all that. Um, but you know it's it's pretty effective. I, I think there's a lot that belongs in the RFQ bucket. Um, low, medium touch for sure belongs in the RFQ bucket. It's in comp, you get immediate justification or evidence for best X. Um, and so it's just, it's easy. Like it has the highest certainty of trade. It's also the most amount of information leakage, but arguably you may not think that, um, you know, you need to protect your information that much and, and kind of low and medium touch flow. So what would be left for DDC engagement? Um, but look, I think if you did choose, and again, this is up to the buy side client to determine what tools they want to use. I mean, in EMS, and, and that's what I am now, of course, really just trying to provide choice um, and in the search for best X. Um, so a client may choose to you know, go the DDC or they may choose to put all that flow in the RFQ. And we want to make those choices and then the subsequent engagement of those choices, meaning to the venue or to the dealers as easy as possible. All right. Well, Spencer, listen, this was illuminating. I appreciate you taking the time out and uh, chatting with us today. Yeah, no, no worries whatsoever. Happy to uh, happy to meet you. And um, I would say that, uh, you know, the journey has been a good one. There's a lot more out there uh, in as far as the electronification of fixed income uh, and, and maybe even more specifically credit. I think we're we're still in a lot of ways just kind of laying the foundation for for new protocols to come. So an exciting time to be involved. Absolutely. Thanks again.